Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Marco. Sean. It's, uh, it's good to talk. Yeah, that's what we do is our job. I mean, <laughs> if I didn't like it, it would be horrible. <laughs> that's right. And, and sometimes... Sometimes a one-on-one conversation is good. Sometimes you need the, the one-to-many. Sometimes the many-to-many. Uh, different mm-hmm. situations call for for different types of talks and con- and uh, and desired outcomes probably as well. And uh, I mean, it, it's something we've been talking about with with respect to cybersecurity, right? Making the connection between the CISO and the rest of the C-suite, and and having a, the the language and the and the skills and the tools to have that conversation one-on-one, one-to-many, whatever it might be. And uh, we've made progress, but there's more to do. And, and I think, I think that's why the, the crew at InfoSecurity uh, Europe in London for the conference this year have invited our guest to be a keynote speaker. And uh, with that, uh, as part of our coverage of InfoSecurity London, uh, I'm thrilled to have Paul Watts on. Paul, how are you? Hey, I'm, I'm doing really well. Great. So thanks for having me along. And uh, music to my ears, you know, the power <laughs> of communication when talking about cybersecurity is absolutely key. And we still get it wrong from time to time. So uh, I think it's an interesting topic to discuss. Yeah. yeah and, and more and more, I have to say, for for my own delight, which I love storytelling, it's uh, it's turning into that. And even when we when we cover events, there are more more episodes of getting together, telling stories, not just about the technology. It's about translating the conversation, involving more people in the conversation. So we, we know you have a couple of sessions there, but uh, I would say before we get to that, uh, who is Paul Watts? Well, that's a very interesting question. Let's unravel Philosophical, but you don't need to go there. <laughs> I, was, I was born at a very early age. And, <laughs> no, seriously. So I've been working in, uh, in, in IT for uh, approaching 30 years now, which uh, reminds me very much of my own mortality, but let's move on from that. Uh, and I've been working in cyber now for oh, around about 18 years in a, in a variety of, of leadership roles. Um, and I've, I've had the, the, you know, the great privilege to work in sectors such as financial services, critical national infrastructure, fast food, retail, um, analytics, market research. And um, yeah, and I've had a great time doing it. And I've got the scars to prove it, like every other security leader. And um, just just seeing the evolution of our trade craft as technology has become normalized and mainstream, it's moved from being business supporting to business enabling to now practically the business. You know, we woke up one morning and we found that the blasted computers were running everything. So um, so the way that we've had to to take that conversation forward has equally changed over over the years as, as technology has become you know, more accessible and easier to use by everybody. So why come and talk to us in the first place? And I think that's the recurring theme of, uh, of the two or three sessions that I will be having at Info Security uh, Europe uh, next week. I love it. And uh, I was, uh, I often heard this from from somebody and I was thinking maybe your, your last name might be Daniels and, and there's that infamous question. 
what first attracted you to the millionaire this <laughs> <It was like laughs> Liz Merton show but anyway that's a joke, joke aside um I'll use that as kind of a tip tipping off point of that that's an obvious question to an obvious answer right um, but it for those, I'll have to include the link for somebody to, to, to read what, what that's all about. But the point is, you ask an obvious question to get an obvious answer. It's not always obvious, either side. And and what might be obvious to you might not be obvious to the other person and vice versa. So maybe talk to me a little bit about kind of level setting the, the Captain Obvious bar, <laughs> if you will. Well, I mean... It, it... It's actually quite straightforward. So let's take a typical scenario. So my my wife will come up to me and she will say, Paul, I'm thirsty. And I'll go to the kitchen and I'll turn on the faucet and I'll make her a glass of water. I'll put it in front of her and I go, but there you go. She'll look at me and she'll go, what's this? So you said you were thirsty. She said, no, but I want a hot drink with sugar in it and one of those little uh, little umbrellas and, uh, and 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 actually what 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 that's what that's calling out is a problem that's blighted software delivery for many many years which is understand the customer requirement um and understand where the value is so when you think about that in the context of security there's there's no point in coming to me with something and saying oh, look, look what i've made uh, and i say no oh, well you can't use that it's illegal and I say, well, at what point were you going to tell me that? Well, at what point were you going to ask me? And then you realise that that fundamentally, the, the the two the two conversations never had an opportunity to start in the first place. And, and and what's the consequence of that? Well, people cross the sidewalk, you know, cross the street to avoid us because well, security just gets in the way. You know, it's a blocker. It's not making me successful. It's not allowing me to do things. It's slowing me down. It's costing me burden. It's adding friction. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because security professionals don't come to work to be willfully obstructive. And, you know, back to the analogy of I want a drink or what type of drink you want. It starts with a conversation. Ergo, the title of my throwdown on the first day of InfoSecurity Europe is It's Good to Talk, because it absolutely is. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of where I, the, the, the start point from it, Sean, really, to be, to be honest. The power of communication. So sometimes I look back and then, you know, I'm, I'm uh, relatively new in the industry, let's say seven, eight years, and I come from communication, uh, branding, marketing. So th there you talk a lot, mm. but, but you try always to understand the business. And at the beginning, you know, seven, eight years ago, which seems a long time ago now, it, it was, it was what you said. I mean, you can do this, you can do that. And, but I've seen changes. I've seen a lot more communication. But do you think we are there yet? But we're really far from it. I, th I think we're heading in the right direction. And I think you make a really good point, Marco. So my first security leadership job was in financial services, heavily regulated. And if you wanted to do anything, you had to jump through certain hoops. And I was one of those hoops. So everything came past my desk. And I had the opportunity to rubber stamp it. Or say, no, 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 go rework that, do it again. Um, but the reality was you had to pass my rules. Otherwise, thou shalt not pass. And this technology has become easier to use from the mainstream. The reality is, is the business can then kind of sidle around us. And, and they've chosen to, to do that. So I think we've had to almost reinvent ourselves overnight, really, 
Um, now we don't have the rule book to wave in the air and say, you know, you've got to, got to cross my palm with silver or this conversation or this thing isn't happening. We've actually had to become marketeers overnight. So where's the value in having a conversation with me? Well, the reality is if you put something out that's inherently insecure, there be dragons. And we know what happens when those dragons bite. Now, nobody wants to feel the wrath of a breach or a loss of service or poor reputational damage or financial loss. So what security leaders and their teams have done is they've started to play on that to say, well, I can reduce the opportunity of that happening for you if we have a conversation at the appropriate time. And the language has moved from a no but to a yes and. And because of that, we've started to enable the conversations to happen at the appropriate point. So actually then security baked into those life cycles of projects and product development become less intrusive and we're working together. And I use an analogy, I'll share this with you. I, I talk about security um, and how it's changed over the years using the phrase done with, uh, sorry, done for and with. In the old days, security was done to a business, you know, very heavy duty controls, policies, uh, that, that couldn't be overcome. Then we were doing it for the business because everybody appreciated that they needed to be done, but the business wasn't really that interested. So we were doing it for the business because we were saving them from themselves, which is still a little bit rude, really, because we're kind of suggesting that the, the business are idiots, which is what we used to say. But I think we've kind of moved away from that now. We're now moving into a world where security is done with the business because we have a constructive collaborative relationship where we recognize, we look across the desk at each other and we say, we want the same things. We want prosperity, we want profit, we want margin, and we want success. And we're coming at it from slightly different angles, but we absolutely amplify the likelihood of us achieving those outcomes if we work in unison and we work together and we work in harmony. So now security is done with the business. Love it. Yep. And so another one of your your sessions at the at the conference is on the workforce yeah and so in what taking what you just said i mean when when i hear the the term cybersecurity and workforce i'm thinking analysts and and people deploying protection technologies and kind of the core of the infosec workforce is how how do you view it as an analyst, and and especially given the points of of having conversations and the fact that we're doing stuff with the business, so yeah. we have app development and operations and whatnot. So y your view on the workforce? Are we are we kind of yeah? I'll just leave it there. So uh, this is a really interesting point, Sean. I'm glad that you've raised it, and I don't want to give too much away because I really want our listeners to be coming to Info Security and hearing it for themselves. But let's just 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 talk about this a little bit because I think it is really relevant. Um, one of the challenges we've had as we've evolved as security practitioners, or we've started to find that value of engagement with the business, is we still have what I would describe as blind spots. Now, you know, I've been around for a long, long time. Um, and the reality of it is that people of my generation came from a highly technical background. So we we learned the tradecraft of cyber information security through the technology of that medium. And what I think that's done is that's that's inhibited our broader development and it stifles the way that we engage with business. So what do I mean by that? I 
I make a call to our industry and a call to the academia and the classrooms that are bringing the next generation workforce together. We absolutely need a diversity of skills in the cybersecurity workforce. And I use the phrase, bring me the creatives. I'll share a story with you, if I may. So when I was working for the UK railroad operator, this was back in sort of 2014, 2015, we were really struggling to land our communications campaign. We were doing a big cybersecurity transformation program. And, you know, suits like me were trying to tell the business that it's really important and follow these tips. And it was all very mechanical and it didn't it didn't really resonate. It didn't work particularly well. And I was standing in a coffee queue uh, and, a, and a young lady called Georgina came up to me. And Georgina was a communications and branding executive. She did internal communications and program communicating with the public and so on and so forth. And she said, see what you're trying to do. Um, and I think I can help, but I don't know anything about cybersecurity. And I said, I don't care. Let me buy you a coffee. And we sat down and she said, look, you're missing fundamental basics of marketing and communications. You know, you've got to understand the groups that you're communicating to, understand your core messages, translate them so that they resonate, strike an empathetic pitch with the people that you're trying to talk to. And she reconstructed the way that we did that that communication and awareness. And it was an absolute slam dunk. And from that point on, I was sold that actually we were part of the problem because we recognise now that we needed uh, humanity students, artists, visual people, and we needed those skills to be brought into the tradecraft of cybersecurity. Now, herein lies a problem, and this is the slightly controversial thing that I'm going to surface at InfoSecurity Europe next week. We need to acknowledge that we've got blind spots. So as security leaders, we have to acknowledge the fact that we need to recognise that we need those broader skills to augment what we know over the years of experience that we've gained, to be absolutely nailing the relationship with our business and driving true business value. Now, that's a hard thing to say to a security leader who's been around 20 years and thinks they know it all. They don't. And the market for our trade skills has changed. And if we don't change with the demands of our consumer, we then start to lose relevance. And that potentially becomes a problem down the line. And one of the things that I, I do some lecturing at universities, uh, which I'm absolutely privileged to do, and it, it feels right because you're paying forward. And I say to them, what are you being taught about marketing and communications? And, this, and they say, well, you know, I, I know how to, you know, all this technical stuff and the, and the business of risk management. So I look at the lecturers and I say, you're letting these students down because they need to be entering our industry with a breadth of skills that transcend just the technicalities of doing cybersecurity. And I think that's vitally important and we need to be doing more of that. Sorry, I get on my soapbox a little bit because I do feel quite strongly about that. But I, hopefully that's answered your question, Sean. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm, I have a comment on that, if John, uh, Sean, if I can, yeah, quickly. I think it applies to a lot of other um, industries. I, I give you an example. Um, medical industry, doctors, when you go and you need to have, you need to have people's skills. It's not just about telling this is what you got and this is what you have to do to get cure. You, you need that interrelationship skills. And I was talking to actually the former uh, CEO of Kaiser Permanente here, and he was talking about this thing. It's like, we need to insert in the curriculum of medical doctor 
psychology and the way that you communicate with people. And I, and I can think many other industry that do that. So I'm a hundred percent with you on, on these for infosecurity. I totally agree. A little bit of bedside manner goes a very, very long way. Um, especially if you do take the old school approach and you rampage into a project meeting and go, stop everything. Cause you've, you've not filled in form a one 23 dash 54 C and you can't proceed past stage gate three. until everyone just look at you going, uh, this guy's always going to be in the confound in the kitchen at parties. Uh, you know, <laughs> you've got to match. It's it's match pitch. Read the room. It's basic emotional intelligence, and and unfortunately, it's sadly lacking in a number of areas. And Marco, your point is well made. This isn't just something that cyber has to worry about. This is you know ma- many industries where uh, you know the importance of, of of that that resonating relationship, finding that. That, that impasse between the two of you getting past it is so, so, so important. So, uh, so many questions in my mind. I feel like we could just wrap for the whole day here, but <laughs> I, I want to, I want to connect it to, to one of your other sessions around uh, outsmarting the, the cyber criminals. Cause what, what I'm hearing here is understanding the business, right? Doing being part or being with the business so that assumes you have some vision of where you want to go and how you want to get there. And then you throw regulation in the mix, right? Kind of to your point, well, you, you can go there, but only if you pass through these gates successfully, which yeah. kind of could, could slow things down. And, and in some cases, you can't get around those. So how does cyber, cybersecurity play a role there? And then we have the cyber criminals who have neither of those constraints, right? They, they don't have to abide by the, the ethics of the company or the, or achieve the same growth rates um, and have issues with staffing and things like that and education. They just, and there are no boundaries from, from, a, uh, from a compliance perspective, they just go. So th- there's this race between the, the tortoise and the hare and uh, one of them is wearing a big backpack, lugging them down and, and the other is just kind of flying freely. So how, how do you tying in that, that third session that you're part of? I think that's a panel discussion with, with a few folks. Yeah. How does that change the conversation? Um, I, I think we are moving away from the world of managing risk versus reward. And we're now actually talking about the language of business resiliency. Uh, what do I mean by that? Um, spoiler alert, getting breached is no longer a matter of if, it's now a matter of when. So we need to think about how we drive the agility into our people, our process and our technologies so that we can spot these things quickly. Uh, we can act swiftly to contain and limit the damage. Now, in order to do that, you have to be thinking about security from cradle to grave, you know, and, and you're almost, you're, you're selling the importance of security being something that threads itself right the way through business. But now it's not a question of measure and countermeasure. You've always got to be ready um, for the inevitable to happen. Now, this doesn't mean that you you have to take a slow approach. You know, we've just exited from a big global pandemic. The markets are in a bit of a mess. You're earning every dime, cent and dollar that's that's afforded to you. It's a very competitive world. And organizations still need that competitive edge. They need that ability to innovate. They need that ability to, to be out front. 
And it's absolutely possible to do that and be resilient. But what you need is agility, both on the side of security and on the side of business as well. And this kind of brings me back to the importance of communication and collaboration and it being a two-way street. You know, if we're having the conversations about we want to use, I don't know, let's talk about AI, everybody else is. Damn it, let's get on the bandwagon right here. Let's talk about chat GPT. Great. What do you want to use it for? Great conversation there. What are the pros? What are the cons? Let's go into this with our eyes really, really wide open. Um, Because if we don't and the business says, we're just going to go and do this anyway, we'll just kind of give Paul to swerve and we just won't talk to him. uh, And then something happens. We know what happens. The business comes out to us and go, how did you let that happen? Why was your sock not detecting that? Why didn't this happen? Well, we need to have that, that balanced conversation between the two of us, right? The other thing is to think like an attacker. So the importance of, you know, regularly rehearsing, using red teaming, blue teaming, purple teaming, just making sure that your, your, your skills are honed, situational awareness, making sure that your workforce has a, is operating in a culture um, of, of being able to um, feel comfortable to say, I think there's a problem here, or I think I clicked on something I shouldn't, or I think I might have done a thing, rather than say, this is going to get me fired. So I'm just not going to say anything. And in the meantime, you've got an attacker in your environment moving laterally, and you know what happens next. So there's a number of moving parts that allow us to behave in the way that we need to behave. Um, and it just comes back to the importance of recognising that change is a two-way street. There's things that we need to do differently, and we're starting to change. There's things that the business need to do to pull their weight and they need to to be able to change as well. Um, so there's a lot to unpack there. I appreciate that. Um, I think if you want to hear more, you're going to have to come to London, right? Yep. That's a panel Absolutely. to partake in for sure. Yeah. yeah a, lo- a lot to think there. And it make me think about uh, some uh, other conversation we had, Sean, in the past about trust is not, is not about... I'm going to trust you if you tell me that I'm going to be unhackable, unbeatable, if you're going to protect me 100%. It's to say, I'll do my best. And and my best, uh, you know, it's a two-way thing, like communication. You know, it's not just this department. It's everybody as a culture that we do something about it. So um, I think you can look at it from that perspective, which bring back the soft skill of communication <laughs> so we we've gone the full circle here right I, I think it's also important to recognize the cyclical nature of of the world that we operate in because as i said you know there's a lot of moving parts so the business is now moving at breakneck speed it's innovating as quickly as possible to stay competitive we're trying new things we're playing with chat gpt we're playing with new technology we're embracing automation the threat actors are just as innovative and they're trying new cool stuff as well. I mean, I, kind of, I don't I shouldn't really be cooling it cool, but they're as creative and innovative as we are. So we have to be as cool and innovative and, and as agile as they are. You've also got to have the the, the outlight. You've got to have your your people looking into the future. Uh, you know, the organisation that I work for, the Information Security Forum, we have a paper called Threat Horizon, um, and it's very very popular because what we're doing is we're encouraging both technology and business stakeholders to think about the things that could be influencing them in the future. So you you think about the threat landscape, but you then think about that in the context of your organization's strategy 
and you have to be interested in the organization strategy. So it's not just about a risk practitioner managing a risk register. It's about thinking about the ultimate outcomes you're trying to, to drive and taking early action so that when the worst happens, when, not if, you're ready for it. If your competitors aren't doing that, they're immediately on the back foot when the next threat lands and they've got to think about what they're going to do. And in the meantime, you're flying because you've already got a plan A, B and C and you're off. You've got the competitive edge. That's why it's so important. And it changes over and over and over again. It's just a merry-go-round. I talk to people and they say, I've just completed a five-year cybersecurity transformation program. Mic drop. And I go, great. What next? <laughs> Take it back up a, again. <laughs> there isn't a beginning, a middle, or an end. Now tell me how you're going to sustain that. And they went, oh, well, I haven't, I haven't told the board that it's going to cost them 20 million US to run this every year. I was like, well, <laughs> I think you probably need to do that pretty quick, to be fair, because they now think they're secure because you've just delivered that five-year program. But the world's changed. Now you've got to start over. And again, mm -hmm. and again, and again. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and every, every industry is different. I, I remember working with some uh, defense departments uh, in, in U.S. government uh, when I was working for a security company. And the life cycle of those programs, I mean, you, you're behind before you start almost. And then, then five years later, you're implementing what you defined five years ago. And it, it, it's crazy. Um, so having a regular conversation, regardless of what the plan looks like, I think ultimately really matters. It, it, it's interesting as well, Sean. So you know, not wishing to come back to AI and machine learning, but it's it's the hot topic. There's this expectation that, that the law lords and the regulators are going to catch up and they're going to show us the path mm. to righteousness and set out what's right and what's wrong. Now, look, we've been around for a while and we know that this isn't going to happen. It's going to take legislators time to catch up. We also have geopolitical rifts now. So our determination of what's morally and ethically right for AI and ML in one part of the planet may be different or perceived differently in another. So we have to unpick all of that. But the reality is this technology is here today and we've got to deal with it today, um, which means that we've got to decide our own rights and wrongs and our own risks and rewards if we want to leverage this technology to remain competitive. And when the legislation catches up, we will have to adapt to become compliant to it. I don't think we're ever going to be in a situation where the rules of the road will be set before we set off down the road. Unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of being in that position. But that makes it all the more important for security leaders and their teams to be having constant progressive conversations and relationships with the business so that when they're thinking about doing something, they say, I'm going to hang out with the security guys and get their take on this. Um, because I want to start off in the right direction. Because if it turns out three three years from now, they was completely the wrong direction. Well, what are we going to do? Well, I can take the CISO out the back and fire him. You know, that's that's pretty, that's sport, right? That's generally what happens, isn't it? Blame the security guy. But that's not how we want this to be. You know, we don't want to be, you know, operating, looking over our shoulder, worrying about, you know, where the next blade's going to come from. We want this to be a nurturing relationship in a culture that's fresh and invigorating and innovative and not stifled and governed by rules and by fear. You know, we want to change. So, you know, that's that's the journey that, that security is trying to take itself on. Yeah. Yeah, and firing oh the CISO. Firing the CISO doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> doesn't solve the problem because you've still got a mess to clean up. That yeah. is a scapegoat, and that's just yeah. not the right answer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, so many, so many things to talk about. Uh, we can't do that all here. Uh, you have three sessions security in the business it's good to talk on tuesday the 
20th, 11.45, uh, You have a panel on outsmarting cyber criminals. That's also on Tuesday. It looks like it's just after that. So kind of yep, you, right. you have your short, your short, short burst and then a nice chat to, to break that apart a bit. And then uh, on Wednesday, we have a trio of things here. You have managing the current demands of a cyber workforce whilst <laughs> looking to secure the workforce of the future. That's uh, nearly two o'clock, just before two. Uh, to, to have to. a lot to unpick okay. i'm yes. very grateful that i've been given the three the, the three sessions and uh, yep. look i mean I'd, I'd love to continue this conversation with, with your good selves and no, no doubt we'll get an opportunity next week and you know call out to others who are going to attend info security europe you know i'll be around for at least the first two days maybe the third come let's come and have a conversation you know there's yep. a there's a lot to unpick here it's good no. good to talk so i hear it's good, good to talk. <laughs> you passed. <laughs> you learned the lesson, and and I think the lesson here is that if if uh, half of our conversation there and anybody that that comes to London to the event are as you know one fifth as interesting as this one we just had with you, I think we're all for in for for a really great event. So um, I invite everybody to come and join your session, but also, like you said, to hang out, take the opportunity, uh, mingle, network, and rethink the power of info security. Uh, Excel London, uh, the 20th, 21st, 22nd June, 2023. Yep. And we'll we'll see you all there. Yep. Be there. We'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> be there or be square. Be there. Be there link be to square. Paul's sessions in the show notes. And uh, we touched on a few topics, Marco, that we've had conversations about as well. So we'll, we'll link to those. Yep people can get a head start and of course stay tuned we have a lot more coverage coming uh, this week and throughout the conference itself so we look forward to uh, sharing those stories with you and, and hopefully you becoming part of them as well so Paul thanks again for your time and uh, good luck next week with the sessions and the conversations and uh, see everybody there enjoy the conversation gents thank you very much see you next week see ya Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.